0: Welcome to Health & Wealthness, where your hosts, Hannah Kahn and Emily Weigel, discuss topics that everyone should know about. In this episode, we have a discussion on the opioid crisis. This part will be focused on what the opioid crisis is, the history of morphine and other opioids, and their role in our body and brain. We are here to help you understand more about your world, and we hope you have fun tuning in. Hopefully you learn about why opioids are not just classified as a crisis, but also an epidemic. Welcome to Opioids Part 1. So what started the opioid epidemic? Pain is a confounding factor that is between physicians and the people's need for comfort. According to the National Institute of Health, 50 million Americans today suffer from some level of moderate, severe, or chronic pain. Many people take prescription drugs and opioids because it is on the fast track for less pain rather than long-term therapies that could be more expensive overall. But how is this quick fix to helping people ease pain change from
1: helpful to harmful? Let's start from the beginning. What is an opioid? What do they do? What are the side effects? And why do physicians prescribe them?
0: Opioids are a class of prescription drugs that are used to treat different levels of pain. Most of the common types of opioids that many people are familiar with or have seen on social media or in the news are oxycodone, hydrocodone, morphine, and methadone. Another opioid that has been seen vastly in the news and is associated with the deaths of many well-known celebrities such as Prince and Mac Miller is fentanyl which is a synthetic opioid that is 100 times more potent than morphine. Physicians prescribe pharmaceutical opioids because it is their job to trust their patients when diagnosing their pain. However, it is so hard to identify the difference between patients who can take this drug correctly and those who could potentially misuse it.
1: So why is the opioid crisis coming to light now?
0: Well, opioids are not new whatsoever. Even over a hundred years ago, opioids have been used, but in various forms. The papyverosomifer is a opium poppy seed plant that secretes alkaloids, which are organic compounds like codeine and morphine. Synthesizing morphine created the most famous opioids of the century, oxycodone, heroin, and the deadliest one, fentanyl. But it has come to the attention of many people especially now because of the emphasis of pain management and the growing industry with it. Because if we think about it, opioids are used not only to treat, but for surgeries, post-operative pain, and cases such as metastatic cancer. But besides pain management and the patient's right to pain management, a big reason why opioids have come to light is because of the abuse and addiction of opioids that has led to
1: this opioid crisis. So I have heard two variations amongst the term for opioids. What is the difference between opioid and opiate?
0: Opiate is a specific term for drugs that are actually derived from the opium poppy such as morphine, codeine, and heroin. Opioids include the opiates. These are the naturally derived medications or synthetic medications. These include Fentanyl, methadone,
1: and oxycodone. So medically speaking, what are the roles of these opioids in the body? And what do you think we need to know about the role of these opioids overall? According to the National
0: Institute of Health, there are, quote, several types of opioid receptors that exist. Mu, kappa, Delta. Opioid drugs largely produce their analgesic and reinforcing effects via activation of the mu opioid receptor. So the opioids that are used for pain are often described as mu agonists. They have the ability to fully activate opioid receptors. For example, higher doses produce greater receptor activation in the dose-dependent manner. Opioids that occupy but do not activate receptors are referred to as opioid antagonists. For example, naloxone, which can reverse the effects of the mu opioid agonist. It is important to know that these receptors are G-coupled protein receptors, mu, kappa, and delta. So mu is a common receptor that we learn about in school and usually used for sedation purposes. The kappa receptor has has an effect on sedation, but usually does not seem to be common with pain relief. Finally, we have the delta receptor, and this is where people would have a euphoric sensation, which are usually experienced with morphine. The G-coupled protein receptors are what regulate pain in the body, and its effects should be understood to help identify more about the opioid crisis and try to help create a solution for pain management. It has been found that 30% of approved drugs target these GPCRs, according to researchers in a study published in the American Society of Pharmacology and Experimental Therapeutics in 2017. These receptors are a part of the molecular structure that trigger the opioid response. Chemically, a classic opioid that is proposed to be an agonist will bind to the receptor and discontinue cAMP levels which are the levels that cause neurons to become hyperpolarized and thus decrease calcium production so as neurotransmitters are being released goes down it reduces pain the cAMP system is a crucial path that mediates the effect that the opioid has so in short Opioids are activated by these receptors that are found on nerve cells. According to a study from the National Institute of Health, Dr. Mark von Zastro at University of San Francisco designed a nanobody, which is a tiny receptor that lights up when an opioid receptor is activated, and it was found that the opioids can travel down beyond the cell surface and into the Golgi apparatus. This explains how rapidly that opioids can not only spread to receptors, but also to different areas, which can explain why drugs can have undesired effects. Dr. Mark Von Zastrow stated that we quote, we were surprised to see that drugs such as morphine activated opioid receptors in a location at which naturally occurring opioids do not, end quote.
1: So do all opioids have all three of these receptors?
0: Well, it depends on the type of opioid it is. With morphine, it acts on all three receptors, But other opioids, especially with synthetic drugs, it acts on one receptor more than the other. Oxycodone is an opiate agonist that is an active ingredient in the number of narcotic pain medications such as oxycontin and Percocet, and it produces euphoric and analgesic effects when the mu receptor is activated.
1: What about a deeper look at morphine and its biochemistry?
0: Yes, so let's give a little background to the story of morphine. Morphine was first discovered by Wilhelm Saturner in 1805, but the synthesis of morphine into synthetic opioids such as heroin, oxycodone, and fentanyl was between 1952 and 1956. This class of opioids were referred to as opiates and were first created for medicinal reasons to treat terminally ill pain such as cancer. However, the exploitation of the preparation of these drugs were then found to have an addictive euphoric property that caused for immense increase in first tolerance and then addiction in the epidemic. Morphine has many biological effects on your central nervous system and peripheral nervous system and inhibits nociceptive neurons, which manifest sensations of pain.
1: Why is it important to understand the role of the g coupled protein receptors with morphine specifically?
0: This might sound like a lot of biochemistry, but it is important to understand this role when it comes to health, reducing pain, and how these affect pain. So again, the role of the G-coupled protein receptor helps with regulating a pain response. Each time that this opioid receptor is stimulated, there is a surge of calcium that helps correlate the pain in which receptors are being activated. In an experiment done on a spinal injured rat, it was found that the mu opioid was reduced while the inflammatory response by delta opioid increased. But prior to this research, many studies found that the mu opioid was very strong and can be expressed in many different ways and can be coupled with other signals that can help with pain transmission. G-coupled protein receptors are large structures and it was first x-rayed in only 2007 and these innovations potentially could further drug therapy for addiction. These x-rays help see where the drug and receptor binded when experimenting analgesics on mice. They used morphine, heroin, and codeine and found key binding agents that could potentially be a target for drug abuse. It is also very interesting to note how research on opioids in the body are always changing. One example of this is the role of how chemokines have helped chronic pain, and this research could potentially cause new therapies to advance. Chemokines are important regulators of immune and neural responses in both CNS and PNS. The reason why I bring up chemokines is because of recent studies that were found on how they are very similar to opioid GCPRs. A study using knockout mice found that chemokines can help with neural excitability and survival of pain. It was found that chemokine receptors can help reduce neuropathic pain, such as spinal injuries and other nesoseptic injuries. So to conclude, these processes and biology are convoluted and there are many signals that go into one pathway with GCPR interactions. But understanding this overall view of morphine is important to know when speaking more about the role of morphine, but also other opioids in the body.
1: What about with synthetic drugs? Can you speak to one of the ones you have already mentioned?
0: Yes. So let's start with one of the most talked about synthetic drugs out there today. This one synthetic drug has taken over the opioid epidemic a drug that is 100 times more potent than morphine. This exceedingly powerful and addictive drug is stronger than the illegal synthetic drug heroin. The rise of this drug is referred to as the third wave of the escalated opioid epidemic. This is the deadliest painkiller to date on both a legal and illegal level. It goes by the name fentanyl. Fentanyl was classified as an opioid and that was FDA approved in 1968. It is a Schedule II prescription drug, meaning it was intended to only be given to cancer patients or those undergoing high risk and painful surgery, which is the same with morphine. In prescription form, it is known as Atkin or sublimase. However, street names for synthesized fentanyl and synthesized fentanyl lace heroin go by Apache, China Girl. Jackpot, TNT, and Tango. Morphine also has street names such as Miss Emma, Monkey, and White Stuff. Usually misuse of morphine and fentanyl occurs when individuals crush, snort, or inject it, according to the Addiction Centers of America. Fentanyl is documented to have similar properties to morphine, But, because it is 100 times more dominant, even the smallest dosage could be fatal according to the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Fentanyl works by binding to the opioid receptor that controls pain, emotions, and behavior. Effects of fentanyl include confusion, sedation, unconsciousness, and happiness. A 2018 study about the effects of chronic fentanyl in neuropsychopharmacology reports found that mice that were chronically administered a high dosage of fentanyl had experienced less anxiety while interrupted administration of the drug caused heightened anxiety and withdrawal. Findings also found that chronic fentanyl treatments had effects on physical performance of rats and that interruption of fentanyl treatment caused increased anxiety and established fentanyl dependence. It was discussed that fentanyl can be effective and useful if not disturbed or abused. However, more behavioral effects are still being examined. As fentanyl has been seen to be used intravenously, it can also suppress the stress response during operations, causing post-operative intervention to be taken. It has been used clinically to treat chronic pain or scientifically known as basal pain, which is the background pain. Fentanyl has a high receptor affinity, meaning that because of its lipid solubility, it can last shorter in the central nervous system and acts quicker.
1: Does it have different effects than morphine on a cellular level, like what you talked about with G-coupled proteins and morphine?
0: Yes, it does. So fentanyl activates large analgesic properties when binded to the mu receptors found on the brain and are coupled with the G proteins. The GTP is then exchanged for GDP, which reduces cAMP concentrations, which cause an influx of calcium ions. The exchange of GTP to GDP is what stops nerve activation, letting the drug hyperpolarize throughout the cell. It was found that fentanyl has a half-life of 6 to 10 hours, and it's from the damage and overspread of brain tissue. 80% of the uptake goes through the lungs and can spread through arterial blood within minutes. This hydrolyzation causes CAMP levels to decrease, which reduces pain and stops nerve stimulation. Once these binding sites become receptive and tolerant to fentanyl, the user will want to another fix to feel the same or better high. Addiction to fentanyl can literally happen after one use. It has also been found that fentanyl should not be mixed with alcohol or benzodiazepines.
1: So both morphine and fentanyl are addictive, correct?
0: Yes, very much so, and with both, tolerance builds up rapidly.
1: This is crazy, but why is fentanyl leading the opioid epidemic now?
0: There has been an increasing number of fentanyl, fentanyl analogs, and fentanyl derivatives, which are the subsets of fentanyl that have caused a major spike in the opioid epidemic and can be the reason why many researchers find a mixture of drugs in opioid-related overdoses and deaths even though some toxicology and pharmacology is similar to that of pure fentanyl, these imitation drugs can lead to more problems and deaths in the future. Psychologist Elizabeth Hartney, the director of the Center for Health Leadership and Research at Royals Roads University in Canada, said, quote, the pharmacological strength and therefore the cost-effectiveness of using fentanyl and its analogs and derivatives as a cutting agent, the risk of fentanyl being mixed with other drugs is higher than ever, quote. Sadly, becoming addicted to fentanyl is not very hard and many create an addiction without even knowing it and from that build a tolerance. It will take prevention, education, and overall word of mouth to help younger generations to not be taken down this road with opioids because it could cost them their future, but more importantly, their own life.
1: Hannah has done a great job discussing the background of opioids to start off the conversation into the crisis. For this next portion, we want to start talking about the opioid crisis. So Hannah, I will let you start since you have touched on this a little and with the news almost every day now, we see something relating to the opioid epidemic. How can we deconstruct this crisis down to what we should know? Well the opioid epidemic is one
0: of the greatest public health crises. There has been immense research and call to action from the government to seize this problem, but where is the solution? According to the National Rural Health Association policy brief, it has been found that over 2.5 million Americans have or are still struggling with addiction to opioids, and just within 2016 and 2017, opioid and synthetic drug overdoses jumped 21%. This topic is vast and filled with many avenues, including initiatives that are being taken, babies who are being born addicted, how to decriminalize drugs, and what pharmaceutical companies are doing. But what is not being spoken about is awareness and the science behind what is increasing the opioid crisis. According to a statistic found from the CDC, in 2012, 259 million prescriptions were written for opioids. There was also another surge in 2016 that found that 20 million Americans had or were suffering from addiction. In 2017, the CDC found that there were 70,000 overdoses and more than half were from opioids. Opioid debts continue to be on the rise, but according to a study done by Elaine Hill at University of Rochester Medical Center, and the Department of Public Health Sciences, quote, the number of deaths from opioid-related overdoses could be 28% higher than reported due to incomplete death records. Sadly, it is only increasing. From 1999 to 2010, the increase of overdoses from prescriptions was by
1: 400%. Another nightmarish statistic found from the CDC. So with these terrifying numbers, has there been a change in pain overall in patients and individuals?
0: No. And with addiction leading to these horrific numbers and overdoses, Americans have not seen any change or significant improvement of their pain, according to Dr. Helena Gazelka who is an anesthesiologist who focuses on pain and palliative care from Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. How did it get to this point? There is nothing new with this topic. It did not just hit the public like COVID did in December of 2019. But a lot of the opioid epidemic that we are talking about today, with synthetic drugs specifically, began in the early 2000s. This was an important time, not only because of the rise of oxycotton, but also because the American Pain Association added pain as the fifth vital sign in 2001. It was largely added from the assessment of Dr. Mitchell Max, who was the president of the American Pain Society in 1990, who believed that physicians and nurses should be held accountable for quality of pain in therapeutic care. Now, when you go to a doctor's office or hospital, patients are asked to chart and display their pain level to help recommend treatments. We also see this with PRESS Ganey scores that emphasize pain management and satisfaction. CMS, HCA, HPS surveys, which stands for Hospital Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and System Survey that methodically measures patients' perspectives of hospital care, Aftercare has been given, but sometimes these questions have been removed or have low response rates from patients. While managing pain can be difficult, people have also fallen into the hole when receiving care from doctors who prescribe these opioids under circumstances that are not needed and have un- unregulated prescribing. So, what we see happening here is a downward spiral patients who get a prescription to help with pain get addicted and once they cannot receive a prescription for it anymore and usually cannot afford it, they turn to the illegal side of the drug world to get it. This then leads them to using heroin and harder drugs in general. So we see a conflict between the need for giving the absolute best care to patients who have chronic pain or to take the shortcut for a quote-unquote cure-all pathway. Using drugs and the consequences from the rise of Oxycontin
1: are what we see today, and then amplify, amplified with street drugs. Where do street drugs like heroin come into the picture?
0: Well, it is important to note the change between people using prescription drugs, then shifting to street drugs. Dr. Andrew Kalodney, who is an addiction specialist and works at the Heller School of Social Policy and Management at Brandeis University, did an interview with Todd Zwelich, a Washington correspondent and host of an online platform called, the quote, The Takeaway. Dr. Kolodny talks about how the effects that are given from oxycodone on the brain are the same way or almost identical to the way that heroin affects the brain. He states that, quote, An experienced heroin user cannot tell the difference from one another." So what we ultimately see here is this pathway of patients who were provided prescription drugs from the physicians and are then misusing them. Illegal drugs coming from different countries such as Mexico, which is one of the main outsources of heroin, and is then made accessible on the street. Dr. Gazelka from Mayo Clinic states that 50% of patients who have prescriptions for opioids are not only getting it illegally, but they are also having very easy access to it through family and friends, in most, of, in most cases, basically for free. She also states that 80% of patients who use heroin currently started off by taking prescription drugs.
1: What about fentanyl since most cases we see today are resulting in overdoses
0: fentanyl is very important to note and i'm glad that you have asked about it because yes it has been increasing in deaths because of how fentanyl is made and distributed according to the cdc many of the overdoses and ultimately deaths that are happening with fentanyl are from illegal fentanyl which means that a person who thinks they are buying cocaine or heroin could most likely be taking a mixture of drugs which include fentanyl. Even with legal fentanyl, it does not get any better. In a very important report from the FDA called The Assessment of the FDA Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategy for Transmucosal Immediate Release Fentanyl Products, published in the Journal of American Medical Association in 2019, researchers concluded that 55% of users prescribed with this painkiller were found to be ineligible for the drug. This large assessment does not only cover scientific studies, but also covers research that was obtained from the government. But further, the rise of fentanyl has to do with the inappropriate monitoring of the drug, but not just from prescribers, physicians, or the FDA, but because of drug, drug companies. Basically, fentanyl was only meant for patients who have had chronic pain or cancer, but also patients who have had a build-up tolerance for opioids and have already received opioids daily. But this horrific distribution of this drug across America, we are seeing opioids being prescribed way too often. And a brief side note. Emily will be talking more in depth about the role Big Pharma has and will give you more details of the role and the distribution of drugs in the next episode.
1: Thank you, Hannah. And yes, please stay tuned to the next installment where we get a look into a name that should give you chills, the Sackler family and their timeline of being the primary villains behind the drug market. But back to you, Hannah. So how can physicians know who should and can be given these prescription medications and who can't?
0: Well, as we've seen with how these drugs manipulate the body down to a cellular level and how high the risk is of addiction with opioid drugs, this question is very hard to answer. Dr. Gazelka from Mayo Clinic stated that a thorough examination is necessary and that one of the, quote, most important things to keep in mind is that there needs to be an actual diagnosis, end quote. After patients have been prescribed these drugs, there should also be documentation of previous medicinal therapies and that the patient be, quote, assessed for risk of addictive behavior, anxiety, depression, and comorbid psychiatric disorder, and risk of polysubstance abuse. End quote.
1: With what we have talked about so far, why even give opioids? Are there any other prescriptions that are more from an allopathic care standpoint?
0: Dr. Gazelka talks about how alternative medications should be, quote unquote, exhausted before any opioids can be prescribed. She also states that, quote, the WHO analgesic ladder, as we know the World Health Organization, discusses using acetaminophen, anti-inflammatories, and non-pharmacological treatments before you consider the use of opioids. I would like to pause and give Mayo Clinic some appreciation for having a great resource and a panel of physicians that delve into issues like these for us students to not only learn, but to ultimately start more of a conversation about these issues.
1: So Hannah, we now know the science of these drugs, but where is the role of healthcare?
0: Healthcare is not only a big factor in the opioid crisis, but also within prescribing and in drug companies. People in healthcare business are trying to reduce the cost of healthcare overall, but many drugs are very expensive. What we see here is both the overtreatment and under-treatment between people who are faithfully relying on their medication and those who are not being treated correctly. Campaigns were led by Purdue Pharma where they lied about the risks of OxyContin and had embellished long-term danger to the health of the patient. Dr. Andrew Kolodny said that, quote, this was a brilliant, multifaceted campaign that was underwritten by an opioid manufacturer. At first, it was Purdue, but ultimately, other manufacturers would participate in this campaign, end quote. For our fellow listeners, Emily We'll be going more into detail about drug companies and Purdue in the next episode of The Opioid Crisis. To close, I just wanted to say that there is a reason why the government coined the opioid epidemic as the quote-unquote war on drugs. And with life in the pandemic continues, we hope to find more efforts to see a decrease in addiction and opioid-related deaths. Thank you to Emily for hosting part one of our podcast. We hope that all of you listeners have not only learned more about the opioid epidemic, but have also created your own questions to further learn. The Health and Wealth podcast was created by myself, Hannah Kahn, and my friend Emily Weigel for a thesis project at Barrett the Honors College at Arizona State University under Dr. Foster Olive and Mr. Thomas Bonfilio. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, please email us at healthandwealthnesspodcasts at gmail.com.